Was Zach super loud for you? He too? was super loud for me as well. What it? But I don't mind. He can <laughs> he can <laughs> scream all he wants. It's okay. Sorry, Mustafa, we're usually mm. better than this. <laughs> uh, this is the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get started. Um, so this week again, um, we have a special guest on the show. This week we have uh, Mustafa Joseph um, on the show, uh, who has been building uh, Tasks, which is a really cool uh, task manager for iOS and iPad, and soon macOS and watchOS. Uh, I'm super excited to see to see those uh, apps coming out as well. Um, and Tasks is a really really nice app. Um, very neatly designed for iOS so to feel at home on iOS and on the iPad. And I think it is, it, it's such a, I really love how easy it is to get started using the app. But then there are some like really nice, um, personalization. Like you can add so many colors in them and you can like have a lot of different projects and different tasks, tags, uh, tags attached to them. And I, I think it's a really nice app and I, I love the icon. And this uh, this week, we're going to chat a bit with Mustafa about that and about some of the other things that he has going on. Uh, well, and a whole bunch of random things, as usual. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we probably will struggle to stay on task like we usually do, but uh, that's that's the fun of this show. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, all of y'all, like Malin, Guy, and Zach. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Zach is back for this guest episode. <laughs> cool. Enough of that. <laughs> Should we get started with our rapid round? Yeah. All right, Malin, do you want to take on? You, uh, you nailed that I was time. so bad at the rapid round last time. <laughs> so the idea with this rapid round uh, concept is that it should be just like some some fast questions that, that I made up. Um, but last time it turned into a half an hour segment. So let's see how this goes. Um, so Mustafa, I will just ask you a few different questions, just like warm up questions. Uh, so first one is uh, tea or coffee? Oh, you don't make this easy. Um, I'm more of a milk person, so oh. <laughs> I'm not sure if either. <laughs> I didn't expect that answer. Huh. That, that's a tough one. Yeah, is it closer to tea or coffee? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it works with either, depending oh, on who prefer, you ask. So no what kind tea? of milk? <laughs> I prefer biscuits with tea. I prefer biscuits with tea, but if I were to drink something, I'd drink coffee. But I'd prefer milk any day over both of these options. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Maybe I should add that as an option here. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, and what about uh, the next question is, uh, what are you watching or reading or playing right now? Or are you just too busy working and you're not doing any of it? So I'm not watching anything because I'm busy working. And what I've been reading lately is just uh, documentation on the various <laughs> APIs that are there. If that's, I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, in order to get an escape from all of that, I play um, Defendants of the Ancient which is Dota. Okay. It, oh, yeah. It's basically a version of League of Legends, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Ooh, I, I, I just play That's a version of Le League of Legends. You're, I, I don't know how many people you just offended with that's that. That's controversial. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very controversial. Yeah, yeah. Email Mustafa. Don't, don't bother us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Um, and the next question is, um, are you using a desktop or a laptop? I mean, we already sort of spoke about this in the pre-show. Um, laptop mostly, I assume. So I would have been a laptop person if I wouldn't have gotten a taste for uh, the desktop. When I say desktop, I mean an iMac or a Mac Mini, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it's much better to work out of a desktop because if I have my laptop, 
I just end up taking it to the bed and then I just end up dozing off with it. <laughs> but I think uh, I've become more used to a desktop and I like I I like it much more honestly and I wish I had my laptop keyboard for my desktop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, That's more people awesome. on on team desktop. I'm I'm all interested. <laughs> Laptops are overrated uh, anyways and who's going never. anywhere these days? Like Mac Minis crazy value for money, right? Like You, Mac Minis are so fast, and if you already have a setup, you can get a really good Mac for not that much money. A Mac Mini was so cheap; I got it, and I don't have the problem of it heating up. I don't hear the fans at all, <laughs> even when I'm going all out with it. Um, in fact, it doesn't have a GPU, but I use it for gaming, and it works really well for me. You, so, I mean, I I prefer. Yeah. Do you have an eGPU? I don't have it yet, and I still play Dota at like. A good amount, uh, like good res, without having okay. a lot of frames dropped. Hmm. I was just thinking uh, what I've been using because I have a Mac Pro 13 inch at the moment. Um, Mac Pro, you mean? Sorry, Mac Pro. Uh, I actually been using GeForce Now quite a lot, and I'm not sure. I don't know if that would work with Dota. I don't even know if that's available in India. I use it on Ste uh, Steam. I just use uh, I just play over Steam. Mm. Mm. Yeah, GeForce Now is for game streaming. So instead of you running it locally. It's actually that you would connect to oh, yeah, NVIDIA uh, rig in, in a data center. And it's essentially like a video connection. So you have a video stream to that and your input goes to their servers. And we have a GeForce Now server fairly close to us. It's about five to six milliseconds away. So it it feels indistinguishable from, from playing locally for most things. I mean, if you're like super Twitch shooting kind of person, then maybe you would notice a difference. But for most games, it's, it's really, really impressive. I would have loved to do that. But um, the main limitation for me is internet connection. So okay. at least, uh, and uh, so right now in Mumbai, where I am at, the internet connection speed that I get is around 20 to 30 Mbps. It's a good day. <laughs> and while I was in Bangalore, which was much better, I had 150, 200 Mbps. And that used to work out really well for me. So yeah. right now I feel like in a degraded zone of my life. And I work mostly out of my mobile hotspot because that's faster than really? yeah. the... Uh, yeah, I actually work out of my mobile hotspot. And a good thing in India is at least we have unlimited data. So there's no mm -hmm. such um, cap on data. And it's very, very reasonable. How much do you pay for your for your unlimited data? <laughs> I pay for my mobile data plan is $10 a month with unlimited calling, wow. unlimited data. Oh. So it's dirt cheap in India. I'm not even kidding. Wow. In fact, Wi-Fi, uh, if you lease a internet, um, what is it called? An internet uh, connection, mm -hmm. um, it comes up to for 200 Mbps um, with um, around... 1 GB, um, a limit on 1 GB, uh, mm -hmm. 1 TB, I think. Oh, mm -hmm. sorry. Wait, I'm going way off. Um, around 600 GB mm -hmm. for 200 Mbps, you'd pay, I think, 15 to 20 dollars. All right. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we're it's really cheap yeah. in India. I, I think we pay, we, it's North America, right? So here everything is a bit weird. The regular price is 120 dollars uh, for our gigabit line, but it's this weird thing where it's like, If you add TV, a TV, like a TV and a phone line to it, which we never use, but if you add that, it brings down the monthly price to $45. 
So we have all those weird things, and there's also uh, it's supposed to be installed, and I I don't need that because we're not li- we don't have a home phone, but now we have an installer like I get an automated text message. Hey, we have an install scheduled for Friday morning at eight a.m. Do you want to reschedule? Uh, text change, and I for for months now I just text change and put uh, select the latest uh, possible appointment, and then. Like three weeks later, they're again telling me, hey, there's an appointment. It's like change, three weeks. Uh, I should probably call them at some point and just say I do not need a home phone installed. <laughs> but it's weird. I, I really don't uh, like a that. Gigabit internet for us with unlimited data is around $50 a month max. Yeah, that's that's actually not too... like um, Mobile internet in Canada is crazy expensive. I th- you can't get unlimited, but even if you would want something like 10, 20 gigs, you're probably paying a hundred, hundred dollars. But land, like home, home, home network is pretty, is pretty affordable, which is good because now everyone is at home and no one's going out. So <laughs> works out for us. All right. So, sorry, Molly. All right. Let's continue with this rapid round of questions. Um, so, um, which Apple product this year are you most excited about, Mustafa? Like any product, it could be announced, but we have many things coming up in the next month. So it could be something that's not out yet. Or, what are you... or framework. Yeah, or framework. What are you well, mostly excited about? Interesting. Um, I didn't think about framework, but one product I'm very clear on, if they come up with um, um iMac, which is bezel-less, <laughs> that would really be the the it desktop for me <laughs> or a cheaper version of the pro pro xdr display like please uh, uh, yeah, more affordable version of that display um like that would be crazy and things are going uh you know remote and everything it was just a good time to release a display right now yeah mm. yeah we we just ordered an imac so i'm okay if apple's holding out a little bit on a 27 inch uh replacement imac uh, at least at least a year. I want to get about a year of good use out of this iMac because before I would be <laughs> happy to upgrade again. So if, if Apple wants to release a 27 or so inch iMac uh, running on Apple Silicon next year, that would be sweet. But I hope it's not coming. Surely an Apple display is coming, right? Maybe not an XDR level, but like they need that kind of consumer, prosumer level display, not this... Um Weird XDR and bezel-less iMac is it? A bezel-less iMac mm. would do it. Yeah, <laughs> the iPad yeah. display design that would do it. Yeah, yeah. one day. <laughs> I don't know, something I mean, that isn't LG. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the naming kind of set themselves up, right? A Pro Display XDR. There are so many prefixes and subfixes that you can remove to to take off a few thousand dollars of the price. <laughs> mm. uh, like you could <laughs> you could take a Display XDR or a Pro Display. Uh, either of those probably gets you down. A, couple of thousand for uh, dis- the display alone the apple display is probably only a few hundred dollars mm. <laughs> hopefully they attach the stand this time <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what kind of you size know. would you want if if you would get a get a display like if you could design your both of you zach and mustafa your uh uh wildest dreams consumer display what what, what would the specs look like two 4k 32 inch display Two thirty-two inch displays, which would rotate horizontally and vertically. Mm. I don't need a five K display for my usage, so okay. that's. I mean, to have a five K would be a nice thing, but not that I'd be using it for it. But two thirty-two inch four K monitors, which could um, rotate to both angles, that would just be perfect. Mm. No, I think Apple will stick with their pixel density that they're 
you know, you want to stay within a pixel density of, of like what Apple defines as retina. So probably on those kind of sizes, you need Apple would push like 6K again. So I think we would rather see something in the 28, 27 range at 5K. Uh, if, if they would go, like, if, if realistically Apple already ha- buys a whole bunch of displays in the 27 inch iMac configuration, if they would put those into a different casing, how about you, Zach, what would be your dream, dream consumer? Yeah. Um, I do think that the pro display XDR is a little bit too big for um, my use case. I've like seen them, um, and mm. it definitely wouldn't work in my current setup. Um, <laughs> realistically, probably 27 inch would be would be sweet um 24 is also okay like i i never look at my 21 and go oh this is too small um but i think yeah 27 is sort of the upper limit and so whatever that would i I guess 5k is fine um because that kind of scales nicely with the whole retina thing Mm. um that would that would probably be enough yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm I'm not fussy i just you know something that Apple sells that we have the option of buying if we want to monitor. <laughs> you just want Apple to be able to take your money. So what what would both of you sure. say would be a reasonable amount of money for Apple to charge for that kind of display? Considering like I'm I, I think here the LG five K is already fifteen, sixteen hundred yeah. uh, Canadian dollars. Yeah, well the the five K here is eighteen hundred and I I would expect it to be within that. I, I I think I said I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I'd probably pay up to about two thousand dollars for this dream imaginary screen that I've got in my head. Um, any more than that, and it's it's too much. Um, but at that but point, yeah, probably in that eighteen hundred to two. At that point, you're you're you might as well get an iMac though. You know, it's it's we've it's, been through this. I know, we've but it's so this. close at that point. You're like, you you throw in a hundred dollars on top. You know, that's, that's. But remember, in this imaginary world, when this comes out, this is going to be like something that doesn't look like an iMac. And honestly, the current iMac design is a little bit dated. Hey. So there's that angle too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kai. Yeah, I mean, I agree. To the bezels are too big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, the front hasn't been updated, and I don't know what it is seven years now. But I, I don't think Apple would put it in in the iMac case, right? It would they would take the display and put it in something smaller, probably a bit space for for webcam. You probably would want that. Um, I mean, the Pro Display XDR doesn't have it. Webcam sold. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, you do want a webcam in there. At least, oh, sorry, that's the other thing I would want, a webcam. Yeah. That's at least 1080p. <laughs> yeah. But this will be an interesting year for Apple and the Mac, because we're expecting a whole bunch of new Macs this year, right? All the Apple Silicon stuff coming mm-hmm. towards the end of the year, maybe as soon as next month, seeing some announcements, maybe, um, or October, maybe. But that would be the time to also announce corresponding displays right so i think if we're not seeing anything announced in september october it's probably again not going to happen that's my guess <laughs> all right next question <laughs> in our rapid round of questions um so <laughs> mustafa what do you prefer using um storyboard slash interface builder or laying out code in uh, laying out all of your ui in code or just swift ui all the way <laughs> laying out all your code in in interface builder how about that <laughs> <laughs> um, so I used to be a hardcore interface, a storyboard person who used to, you know, just put everything on there. I appreciate and that. I mean, I don't meet many people. I then. used to be. Let him finish his sentence. <laughs> I used to be. I used to be. <laughs> and then I realized that, you know, projects take time to compile. And uh, after the, uh, uh, after some time, I realized that, you know, if I do my constraints programmatically, um, it's, it's, it's really more convenient because I can change it really quick and uh, 
although I don't get the good visualization, that's no big deal. But since my code builds much faster, I'm able to run it and see on the device at the end of the day. And um, I prefer, I, 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 uh, tasks has no storyboards at all or no nibs or anything. So everything's been coded. Um, and I, I, I love the way Swift UI has been done. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely like it, but I'd like to not abuse geometry readers as often <laughs> as I do. Fair. Fair. Um, do you even uh, use uh, program like layout and code for like static views? Like I think your setting screen, for example, is pretty static, right? So I use Swift UI for my static screens, okay. which have okay. nothing to do because. Um, so the thing is, I my static screens are morely. Um, I, I'd like to experiment with them mm-hmm. quickly mm-hmm. see what the prototype looks like. Mm-hmm. So Swift UI was perfect for that. So my purchase screen, my onboarding mm-hmm. screen, these bits, I kept it in Swift UI so that it's easier to change around. And if I want to change my, add a new product, you know, I don't have to add a collection view, create new cells and, you know, adjust the size of the cells. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to do with Swift UI. And the best thing that I got out of um, coding my layout, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I've been start working on the Mac app and I don't have to redo my entire layout uh, constraints or in, I don't have to redo my entire views for the Mac. What mm-hmm. I've done is if it's a Mac target, put these set of constraints, else you just put mm-hmm. these set of constraints mm-hmm. which were existing. So mm-hmm. it's 100% reusable code and I can actually put conditions on the constraints that are being added and I can add or remove views from the stack views. I mean, it's extremely convenient mm. Mm. do you so, do you make much use of previews in swift ui um or are you still kind of doing the the build and run in a simulator so I, I i did so my screens are pretty static and they don't have any in it i think most of the people take a hit when they're in it takes in some values you have to um i think that's when most people take a hit but for me i use the previews as often as i can in fact sometimes i just um comment out whatever things that it takes in as an initializer. There was a problem which I encountered was there was, I had a completion handler for my Swift UI view because I was bridging it with UIKit. Mm-hmm. And if you have, if you have a completion handler, um, it's somewhat, it doesn't render the preview for some reason. Maybe it was a beta four bug or beta five bug, maybe resolved now, but, uh, but I do prefer viewing my previews. It's mm-hmm. very convenient. Hmm. Do you not use your pre- your previous in Swift UI? Um, well, I I tend to, but it's broken <laughs> as of beta five because if your project import store kit, uh, it oh, will yeah. not build for previews. Yeah. So I actually reverted to beta four a few nights this week um, when I was working on Petty, and it's gotten me like thinking how valuable previews actually are now mm. that I'm missing out on them. Um, so yeah, that was kind of why I, I asked that. But question. they're only broken um, if you for the views that also your store kit. Right, you can. Nope, re- I cannot build any view in my. Pro- it seems to compile or attempt to compile the whole project. Really, because I we yeah. have StoreKit in our project, but I can still use previews. Weird, I can't at all. Okay, I had a problem. It will always fail. I had a problem when I tried to import SwiftUI and StoreKit in the same file. So I that could be it. So yeah. if if you break that into like sometimes it's hard, right? But if it's possible to break yeah. all your StoreKit code out into a separate file, I didn't have any issues yeah. with it. Okay, maybe I can do that. I think it's, I think I've got some like publishers on the, um, mm-hmm. on the, um, objects. So yeah. I could, I could break it out, but I'm not sure if that's worth it. Beta 4 works okay. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Is, is that but still no, no, from in beta 6? Good. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beta, beta 6 didn't fix much. I, I have this weird <laughs> suspicion that Beta 6 was a rushed security update because all of my bugs from Beta 5 are still there and doesn't seem like much has changed. <laughs> Maybe um, they're just got, not prioritizing your bugs. <laughs> public betas and developer betas on the same day. I think it was rushed out. Okay. <laughs> it's piracy here. Okay. Um, um, I want to know who broke something or, like, what happened. It's true. Yeah. Um, there's, did you see the placeholder text that you have in beta six for airports? No. Instead of showing you the, which airports connected, you know, when you, uh, with iOS 14, if you open your airports, you kind of see like, yeah. uh, Zach's airports yeah, like and pill. some kind of connected state. Yeah. Uh, now it just says, oh, it's at the top. Okay. Yeah. So now it just says center text and center text label. Oh, uh, yeah. so someone broke the localization, I think. Actually, I have a question for everyone <laughs> while we're on the topic of beta bugs. Um, <laughs> has anyone run into the issue? It probably started around beta 4, I want to say, where if you build and run to a device under certain circumstances, and I can't work out what those certain circumstances are, it will take like a minute or two for the debugger to attach to the process and build the app. I guess this is only really applicable to iOS apps, so it's probably a, a question more for Mustafa, but... Yeah, have have you noticed this bug? Because it's been plaguing me across many, many projects, uh, and it's quite frustrating. Hey, we started with our iOS apps now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, if you found... <laughs> I don't think I faced that issue, um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, the only time that that happens is if your iPad or iPhone has updated and that, you know, those symbols mm. have not been installed, mm. but... I just see it the first time, but not otherwise. Okay. No, that's interesting. It's good good to know. But yeah, I don't know. I've I've come across it a few times and uh, other people that I know have as well. And oh, it's, really? it's very weird. We can't work out uh, any rhyme or reason. Is it in one specific project or is it in no, everything? Many. I've had it happen in now like six projects. Some oh, of them really? were just like really bare bones test projects, like and sample. Is it on thingies. device or in simulator? Oh, it's only when running to device, okay. building and running to device. And the, the weird thing is that nothing's actually happening. Like, if you look at, you have no debug logs. This is before the debug logs. So, it's before the debugger attaches to the process. It's before mm-hmm. the process begins on the phone and your Mac is doing nothing. Like, nothing's happening in activity monitor. Did you so, it's just this, like, weird. And it's, it's almost as though somebody left asleep in there. <laughs> Sleep <Sorry>. protesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it... Is it only happening on build and run? Or is it, if you would go through those steps manually, so you do like a build and do a run without build and then you manually attach, does that work? Like, is it reproducible I enough? That, but if you stop the build and run and mm-hmm. then just open the app, it will open straight away. So I think it's a, an Xcode bug because I've seen it happen. It's always when using the beta of Xcode, but not necessarily when using the beta of iOS. I've had it happen on 13.6 okay. and 14.0. Uh, it's one of those ones that's really difficult to file a bug report for. Um, yeah. And it's not 100% consistent. <laughs> to certain devices and certain projects it is, yes. That is that is a fun one. The only thing I took away from this is he's working on six different projects. <laughs> he shouldn't no, do no, that. No, no, some, some of them are sample projects. Some of them are sample <laughs> <laughs> like, pop, up, pop up a sample project and do it in an hour. Like, it's, it's not necessarily a fully-fledged thing. Uh, but a few like existing fully-fledged projects and then a few sample projects. Okay. Anyway, it's, just a, it's a weird one and it's like it's like 
build something to device. Okay, I'm going to go get a drink now because <laughs> I have two minutes. You know, there's like the good old days when you're like, start to, start off the compile process, get a coffee, come back, your compilation is done. It wasn't that nice. Yeah. You had you had reasons <laughs> to step away from your computer every now and then. Now computing is so mm. fast. You, in most cases, you can just sit there. So this is all of Apple's, you know, well-being, focusing on you right. again, not stressing out too much during the summer, <laughs> getting some sun. I mean, you're in, in Australia, so your winter, but whatever. Everything is California. It's still time, sunny right? here. <laughs> I can see the sun. Yeah, see, so just appreciate it. Enjoy your your forced Cupertino uh, mandated uh, one minute break every now and then. Frustrating. Anyway, okay, <laughs> I, I, I just thought we need Zach's that. MacBook Pro. Like, set it to two minutes of sleep. Yeah, I think that's, that's, For the record, not just my not just my computer. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, so then they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well. well Enjoyed while well, last. Mm, um, yeah. But Mustafa, do you plan on bringing, moving more and more to SwiftUI? Is that kind of your goal or is it kind of, are you pretty happy where you are right now with like SwiftUI for static and, and the rest using UI kit? So I, I genuinely love SwiftUI and I wish I could move towards it. Mm-hmm. So one thing was I use collection views heavily and, mm-hmm. um, the, now it's recently just come into play, right? With mm-hmm. grids, but I don't see that you have that kind of, um, you don't have uh, paging and a lot of other uh, things that you I'd like to do with mm-hmm. it. And the second thing is I don't have control over text fields until I don't have control over text fields. I just don't think I can do that. Yeah. 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 That, that I is... would uh, like, I, I mean, uh, so the main things is like when the text field, I, I would like it to be automatically the first designer without, you know, having to go through multiple steps to do that. Mm-hmm. I'd like that to be default functionality and, I, I, I honestly, the one thing that I hate in iOS in the entire app dev process is handling keyboards mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, anything. I just hate text fields in general. And if it's made hard for me, I, I, I cannot deal with that. You picked yourself a good project to work on if you hate text fields. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, the only time I like it, it's when it's embedded inside a UI table view controller because that handles it for me because I don't have to do anything over there. So that I really enjoy. Other than that, please. (laughs) Have you had a chance to play with any of the new SwiftUI keyboard avoidance stuff? Um, So I have. um, I did. um, So in in one of my contracts, I play with SwiftUI entirely. And the other contract I've been working on, they are experimenting with SwiftUI. So I was playing with the login screen where, you know, again, keyboard handling is vital over there. So um, it, it works really well. I just wish, you know, I could, you know, set first responder and assign this as the next responder and the uh, the UI responder chain events. Mm-hmm. I'd like yeah. to work with those really well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. One day, I hope. <laughs> I mean, we're seeing small mm-hmm. additions to this every year. Uh, I I hope to get more control over that because we have that a lot now as well. Where we're like, I we're even just changing like the tap order, uh, sometimes would would make a lot of sense, and it's hard or triggering um focus like in on macOS you have a lot of focus control, right? So being able to change the focus to a specific thing, like for example, we have a scenario where we want to um be able to set whether a project is billable or not and w- would kind of make sense right as soon as you hit the checkbox to say it's billable to have the keyboard focus to be in the uh in the hourly rate field for example but at the moment we can't so you kind of have to hit the checkbox and then tap over or or click into the text field it would be kind of nice to have a bit more control over that 
at some point. <laughs> Before we get in too much about like the future um, future bits and the technical bits, I, I would love for you, uh, Mustafa, to tell us a bit about about tasks. Do you do you want to give us a summary of of what the app is, or give the listeners a summary? I guess and why you decided to build it. Yes. Um, sure. Let me start with um, why I decided to build it. So um, I had another. Um, pet project or indie project i'm not sure a pet project which failed to be an indie project i'd say <laughs> yes it was this uh, english learning app which i had made for my wife because she's not a native english speaker so it was actually just a home thing where i'd upload questions and you know she'd answer them and i'd just see her score how she performed mm-hmm. and all of those things and i translated that into a more of a kids learning app but um, i definitely failed at it um and while I was building that process, I wanted to break down the steps I had to do, right? So I, what I did is I, I used the pen and paper method because I couldn't find any app mm-hmm. there which could really do what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do is as soon as I, so this is how I did it on pen and paper. I had three pen colors. And uh, as soon as I write down a task, I strike, I highlighted it yellow. That means it's in progress. And then if I highlight it to purple, it means like, you know, I'm testing it now. Mm-hmm. And then when I scribble over it, like, you know, yeah. that means it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted an app that could do this. And uh, I tried out, you know, multiple apps. And um, one that I really liked was Things because it was clean. But then I, it lacked tagging and it, it just marked our task as to do and done, mm-hmm. which I did not really like. And Kanban board apps just scared me because the <laughs> onboarding was so overwhelming. Yeah. And I tr- I tried Trello and all of these things. But I was like, come on, there has to be something simpler. <laughs> so back then, I didn't pay much attention to it. I just continued building my project because that was what I was into. Mm-hmm. And uh, months later, uh, after that was done, and uh, there was there's the Slack channel. And there were so many times on the Slack channel, people would come to and ask, Hey guys, um, you know, what's the best task manager to go mm-hmm. about with? And every time it would turn out into be a debate, you know, <laughs> I like this app, but I like this app, but I like this app, mm-hmm. but, and, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of weird. And I just took all the, but parts <laughs> of it, right. And I put them together and I was like, what if I took an app, which does the basic stuff and what people complain about, you know? try to fix those things to the best that you know it can mm-hmm. and th- that's kind of what it happened what i ended up doing right people really like uh kanban board apps the people love jira but they're like that's not for you to do daily mm-hmm. stuff because they made it so yeah. corporate yeah like i feel like sometimes i've been working in like organization when there's this like one person's responsibility to make sure that jira works like everyone wanted to it's it's like it's it's it doesn't unless you have someone's unless it's like set up perfectly it's not that easy to use i think so exactly you you hit the like nail on the head so what happened is that my company we use jira and i love it and i don't know why people would complain that's because they've already set it up for me (laughs) all i have to do is just drag the tasks and you know put them and that's Mm -hmm. exactly how it happened Mm -hmm. i was like what if things were just set up so easily that you didn't have to you know put in a lot of pain in setting up your project you just start away and you do it as you go right Mm. So that whole as-you-go process yes, is something yeah. that translated to tasks. Yeah, and that's something I really love. How you can you can make it more uh, like more specific. You you can customize it to what you want later. Like you can add tags, for example, at a later stage, and you don't need to do that upfront, which I think is nice. 
I and a lot of users actually like that part where you know it was it it was easy to start out with. Mm. They got a taste of the app and then they stuck to it. Mm. And uh, so what happened? What ended up happening is in around December, I thought of this task manager app, and it was just an idea in my head. I used to write down things, you know, oh this would be cool to have. Oh, this is another but from someone else's task managing mm-hmm. de- uh, best task manager debate, and I just accumulated all these points. And then I spoke to people who used to use all these um, task managers, and they they were really kind. So there were ten to fifteen people who you know um, actually told me like, if you do this, you know, I'd mm-hmm. totally be sold on this. <laughs> and I spec'd this app for three months. Like for three <laughs> months, I didn't start developing. Oh wow! And I just spec'd it out because I knew making a task manager isn't going to be easy. I'm just gonna maybe get abused a lot more than complimented, <laughs> and that's not some road I want to go down for. It. <laughs> that's also there's a really interesting point about like listening to what people want in the app because um like an- another successful indie that I was talking to recently, um they were they were saying that their sort of approach is to just listen to all the feedback that they get and then like do the things that are suggested. Like, if, if something comes up a few times, it's because people actually want it. And, you know, people use the app because they like it already, but these people also have ideas for, like, the next feature. So, it's just that really interesting, like, that element of, like, actually listening to people and, and finding out what they want. And um, it's, it's quite fascinating to hear that you spend three months working out, you know, what needs to go into this app. And um, that, that's really cool. But there's also a lot of translation, right? There's people asking for things, but often that's not actually what they're asking for. They're asking for like making you be able to move things around in a certain way. But what they actually want is if they're done with something, they want to get it out of their way, right? It's sometimes this kind of translation work where it's like, all right, this is what they complain about. But what that actually means and how I can actually fix that is is different. Because sometimes when you see someone just implementing whatever, <laughs> then then that app doesn't feel cohesive anymore because it's just everything is in there and no one knows where and why and what. So I think that's also... Uh, a, a I different think skill. I should be on the leadership team of Apple. That's exactly what the whole team <laughs> at Apple probably says, right? <laughs> you don't know what you need. <laughs> what you're saying is not what you need, but we'll give you what you need, right? <laughs> yeah, but it is, right? It is. It's it's very... Um, true. Like every complaint you would hear is an issue someone has. And then you finding a solution to that, I think that is that's a good approach, right? Otherwise... Your, your app is all over the place. And I think you, you kind of gave yourself enough time to actually collect that feedback and then build it into something that's, that's like a cohesive app experience rather than just having like a hundred buttons everywhere. Right. That's kind of the other extreme. That is correct. Cause uh, the Kanban aspect of tasks was never requested throughout the process because mm-hmm. no one thought they'd need a Kanban board for their personal task management. So that was a, a complete unique mm. angle of it. But I made sure that people who wanted a to-do app, it remains a to-do right. app for mm-hmm. them. But people who would like to add that Kanban board aspect, they get that in too. So mm. yeah, definitely. Um, listening to users was the most important thing. And the best thing that came out of it was I was able to build a model, like the data model for tasks in such a way that it can scale easily. Because mm. mm-hmm. I knew what I needed right now and what I would need going forward. So to structure that model properly because I need to scale if or add new features like say if they wanted subtasks or they wanted recurring tasks right mm-hmm. so recurring tasks was something that was completely not in my agenda as soon as I launched that became the most requested feature and that was the oh, first wow. one I released 
So in order to, you know, the model was planned well enough so that I could adopt that in quickly and, you know, shipped it out really quick to the users. So I think, yeah, um, the main, I was so happy that I took three to three months to spec it out. Mm -hmm. Do you know what people use repeating tasks for most? Is it like chores at home or like, how do you, because I don't use repeating tasks a lot. I'm I'm curious if you know what, what you users use it for. So the users who did request it, um, I think one of them was for taking meds every day. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was um, one of the users. And another user was uh, to remind him to pay his electricity bill okay. every month. So that was another. Um, but yeah, I think these were the ones that stated they wanted recurring tasks with, you know, the explanation for it. Because mm -hmm. the explanation helps me understand why do mm -hmm. they need it mm -hmm. so that was that's actually um in i could have just given it in any random way but then them giving an explanation helps me understand you know that mm -hmm. oh you need it for this let me make sure that this is accommodated as well as the other things mm. how do you do persistence in in tasks do you use core data um, or core data yeah core data and uh, all uh, i prefer not having any dependencies <laughs> Yeah, I, I I really like that. I think we're we're the same. I think did you mention before that you don't have any dependencies in the app? Oh yeah, no, or any no, third party none at all. I mean, a first party, yes, no third party <laughs> dependency. <laughs> What you using a UI kit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, yeah, those are all. Uh, so I mean, yes, I am using UI kit. <laughs> so yeah, I have zero dependencies. The only um, Swift packages I have are the ones I entirely built out for tasks. That's awesome. That's awesome. How do you do the sync? Do you use CloudKit? Oh, yes, CloudKit. How do you find that? Because you have the ability to share like uh, lists with other people, right? In in your pro uh, plan. How do you do that with CloudKit? How did you find doing that? So CloudKit has a very um, nice, convenient way to share lists. Is this, it's just the same way as Notes does it. Mm -hmm. The Notes app, even Keynote and all of these things, you share these documents, right? Mm -hmm. So very much along the same lines. And uh, yeah, just it's it was it was just an it, it's it's the good thing about having CloudKit. I get a lot of functionality that Apple has worked mm -hmm. on and perfected. I mean, uh, perfected as in the core functionality is perfected. <laughs> What we'd like is not perfected. <laughs> But uh, yeah, to have that is pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, so uh, did you, before that, you said you did iOS development of the other app. Uh, did you, was this, did you start doing iOS development or have you done any other type of development before? Um, I mean, I just used to code CC Swift. I don't know how that jumped happened, but I'm so glad it <laughs> did. I tried learn Objective-C mm -hmm. between and as soon as I opened up that book for Objective-C, <laughs> I just closed it back. Because there was no way on earth I could learn that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I actually, I picked up, I picked Objective C up a bit more after I learned Swift. Like I looked at Objective C uh, while while picking up Swift as well. But like I feel like I, I'm mostly like I was more comfortable with Swift before Objective C, and then I had to pick up Objective C for like the the for a project I was working on, and the whole code base wasn't Objective C, and I was like ah. I have to learn this, and I tried to sort of be positive about it with all of the curly bracket. Uh, sorry, with all of the square brackets. I think Kai told me like, just think about it like the code is hugging, like <laughs> like, like the brackets are hugging the rest of the code. And I'm like, that's a sweet way of thinking about it. So then I always smiled a bit when I saw the when I saw the square brackets, and that made me a bit happier. Um, 
I am overall quite happy that I know Objective-C as well, just because it does make it easier to read code. But like realistically today, it's it's almost hard to find examples online in Objective-C. I feel like most things, when you search for, for things on Stack Overflow, everything is in Swift. My interaction with Objective-C was read-only and write-to. So my main thing with Objective-C was I just used to um, read code and convert it to Swift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And... That was that was really nice because Objective C is really easy to read if you know Swift. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I was curious. I think we were talking a bit on on Twitter um, about how you split your time and how much time you spend on tasks. And I'm just I'm always curious to hear how people work in general, like especially how you split your time between contra- contract work or consultant work and uh, the time you spend on tasks. Um, do you want to talk a bit about like the way you're working on it? Sure. Um, I I mean, I'm very bad at time management, but I can give a lot more time than I'm required <laughs> to. So um, I when I started out, um, I started coding tasks um, around March 15th or end of March. So that's when I sat down and I started to code and I was much clear because everything was specked out. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, pretty easy to do. And the design was on the go. So how I start and I had a full-time job then mm-hmm. so that was 40 hours a week that that took out 40 hours a week and then I used to do tasks outside that so it was um, mostly nights because I wake up late mm-hmm. so I wake up around 11 a.m I start with my full-time job and it goes all the way to 6 7 p.m mm-hmm. and then from that time from around 7 p.m to like 4 a.m 5 a.m <laughs> I'm just sitting and putting on tasks so I mean, it, it, they used to be very heavy weeks <laughs> and uh, it was much easier because of the lockdown. It really, really helped me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had a broken ankle, so I couldn't go out. Oh, no. And I, no, I, guess I was restricted to my laptop. Oh. Yes, yeah, so I was just restricted to my laptop. I sat and I coded. And I mean, I would clock around 100 hours a week or 120. Oh, wow. But oh, wow. It, was, it was not tiring. Because, I mean, I have been used to that since college. Mm-hmm. Not that I was studying in college. Um, I mean, <laughs> we used to stay up for really long hours and sleep for less time. <laughs> so, I mean, it felt natural. Not mm-hmm. that I was tiring myself mm-hmm. or burning out. Mm-hmm. But so now I just contract. And currently I'm contracting for two companies with a very low, uh, very less than 20 hours a week for each of them. Mm-hmm. So I give them around 10 to 15 hours a week for both. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest of the time I spend on tasks and now it's become tasks first and then the contracting work second. But mm. it's it's been fun managing because I That's if awesome. I get tired of one code base, I jump on to the other. Mm-hmm. So it's always refreshing. Mm. How did you break break your ankle? <laughs> oh that was that was me playing football. I mean soccer. Okay. So it was it was not uh, the American <laughs> it was just uh yeah, so I was playing soccer and I stepped on to a puddle. Oh no! And my ankle twisted. Then, uh, guess the lesson from all of this. If, I'm if, happy if you about take that. one takeaway from this, don't play soccer. I think that should be the takeaway. <laughs> or play soccer, break your leg, no, and then no, get no, all no, this no. time to spend on your project. <laughs> or that seems like a good productivity <laughs> hack. I mean, honestly, that was that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> you did pick a good time to break your ankle. To be fair, though, like for for not being. Having having a hard time going out, it's it's pretty good that you also can't. <laughs> and that was that was just perfect. Like everyone was going out, and then all of a sudden, I'm just sitting on bed, and all of a sudden, the government announces no one, none of y'all can go out. 
Mm. Mm. That's crazy. How long did you have like a proper lockdown? It's still going on. Mm. I mean, technically, there is still a pseudo lockdown. There's no such announcement that everything's back to normal. Okay. Restaurants are closed. Uh, you can't dine in, mm. but you can order takeaway. Okay. Um, so, it started exactly on March 15th, I think. That's when. Uh, oh, really? Uh, mm. Sorry, March 28th or 27th, somewhere around there. And it's still ongoing currently. There's no such. Uh, no, no, the lockdown hasn't been lifted. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Here it's a bit all over the place. Like British Columbia is kind of going in waves where it's like it gets, it's, it's getting better. And overall, the government tries to not be too restrictive, but rather suggestive. But then we see like case numbers rising a bit again, but most of them from known sources, which I guess is, is the silver lining there. So people know where it's, where the exposure was and then they can, can contact everyone and monitor people and those kind of things but it, it feels a bit like uh, it gets into uncomfortably high numbers and then it seems like restrictions are picking up a little bit again but yeah we'll see um so far in in your journey then is there anything that didn't work out the way you expected for task yeah so far it's been so good touchwood i mean um so far things have been really nice and uh i mean i wouldn't have wanted to change anything except like if i would have started out i would probably would design this one thing better <laughs> i think legacy code has already seeped into the code base <laughs> but uh, no there's um so far nothing that i'd want to change because i learned so much from the first uh app that i made and failed at Mm -hmm. um, I think those learnings really helped me the second time around. Was that more influencing your your kind of launch strategy or the code setup or your marketing? Like, what would you say was the biggest like takeaway from from the first attempt? Listen to your users. You're not your <laughs> user. Like, you are a user, but you're not the user. So that was really important for me um, because the first time around, I was developing the app for my wife, and I was expecting kids to use it. That was kind of like uh, that would, although it made I made sure it looks like a kiddish app, mm -hmm. but it's definitely that's definitely now now how not how it works. Okay, and yeah, that would be my one main takeaway from that, and I think that's it. That was the most important thing, and then from that, uh, other things that I learned were, you know, um, launch strategy, marketing material, putting out a press kit, mm -hmm. and all of those other things. And don't develop all your features at once. <laughs> you can release and then, you know, mm. the second time around, you can launch, you can do a 1.1, 1.2. But with Lingo, I had, I had CloudKit, I had Handoff, I had like Siri, I had like any Apple technology that you can think. I put it in there because I thought it will help me get featured. Mm -hmm. I mean, it did help me with a regional feature, but it like it was... It, it was not worth it in the end. I should have launched it first, listened to what the users say, mm. if there were any, and then improved on it. Because if you put in all the effort and then it doesn't work out, you're just heartbroken. Yeah. There, right? But it's always a hard trade-off, right? When you're sitting there by yourself building it, you're like, ah, I think it really needs this to be, be different or be great. Mm. And it's always a hard trade-off, right? When you're looking at especially in a category like yours, right? To-do managers, you, you didn't build the first one ever. So if you look into the app store and you see like the others and things and you see where they are, but they've been on it for like years and years and years, right? So I I, I, I totally see why you would sit there and be like, all right, I, I need more and I need more. And you just keep adding more things. 
because you you kind of feel like you have to compete with someone else who's been doing this for many many years. Yeah, I think that was something I want to talk about. Um, Kai touched a bit on the fact that there are many to do lists and many task managers on the App Store, and I think that's the same with all categories. I feel like you would struggle finding a category where there isn't an app already uh, in in the App Store today. But how do you feel like? Um, how do you feel like you differentiate in, in terms of like the marketing that you do and the writing about tasks that you do? Or how do you feel? How do you try to differentiate tasks compared to other apps? I think my main differentiator um, would so my I I would think I would like tasks to differentiate on two primary things. One is customer support, and mm-hmm. that is something something that I've been working on and I've been doing. And my response time, if I'm awake, is less than five minutes. Oh, if I'm asleep, awesome. then it's as soon as I wake up. <laughs> and uh, the second thing is uh, actually listening to them and implementing it. So a lot of people um, reached out to me and they were like, you know what? This fills in a lot of these things. If you can do repeating tasks, that'd be great. As soon as I got all these mails, right? Mm-hmm. The very next day of launching, I reply back to all these emails saying that thank you for your um, you know feature request and it made it to the app store so i hope you like it <laughs> and this res- like a lot of users liked it like you know and um, i think uh, uh, they enjoyed that whatever they suggested was eventually showing up not that i take in all suggestions mm. people list out five suggestions mm. i maybe just take the one yeah. which is resonating among mm. the users yeah i think and i think that's a good the, point because like, i think many people if they if they are on Twitter, they might be more excited to be like, look, um, like Mustafa fixed fixed the bug that I talked about, or he fixed the feature, he added the feature I wanted. I think if you have people being happy, then they might write about it, and I think that can be a really really positive thing. It's a good it's a good. And strength. the other thing is working on the butts. So those that again that people like the task manager, but this was lacking. Mm. And if you fix that, you always have what do you call it? Um, the the unique part of your, your app, your USP, your unique selling point, mm-hmm. you always have that, that you have this additional to your favorite ta- existing task manager. And uh, one of the things like to mention was um, things, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they are absolutely good at what they do and there's no denying that, but they've not done one thing, which is uh, location based, uh, you know, uh, reminders. Mm-hmm. And, Around three to four emails came to me saying that, you know, I have been with things and this is one thing that I always required, Mm -hmm. but things never gave that to me. So if you're going to do this, you know, I'll switch to you in a heartbeat. (laughs) And so it's that. So if you do that one feature, right, you actually, it's, it's not that hard to do Mm. being coders ourselves. Like, you know, that would be not so much effort, just taking some look coordinates and then, you know, just trigger a bit geofencing, you know, just. Mm. Uh, trigger a reminder when you are in that place Mm. and that's something really easy to do and there are so many such features and you don't have to put this right in the face of the user Mm. Um, they can discover this as an added feature which can be hidden because these users are going to be very less and if you listen to this feedback that one user will make sure that he tells five of his friends Mm. and you actually win a group of users instead of just that one user. Mm. So, I mean, at the end of the day, no matter which category you're in, as Malin stated, right, there are definitely going to be a lot of apps over there. (laughs) And the only way you can differentiate yourself if you have a USB which solve one of their bugs. Mm. For for me, uh, like sometimes my parents try to understand what I'm doing, and they they're like, <laughs> "Your parents always have the best app ideas." <laughs> they, 
yeah, yeah. My my dad has has good ideas, uh, <laughs> but but sometimes they are like when I'm telling them that I'm making a time tracking and invoicing app, they're like, I've seen an app that you can invoice with. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know, but this this is different, and it's always hard to explain to people why yours is different. But it's such a like it's like the same like time trackers and um, like task managers. They're so opinionated type of apps so i think there are you there are users that will want a certain behavior and i think um and most people need a task manager and they just need to find what's perfect for them and if your mindset is similar to their mindset uh, of how you should track your tasks then i think they can easily like you have an audience there and yeah i i always struggle explaining that to to people who are not as in it, I guess. Um, but I, I really think that there's a space for so many apps in most in most areas. It's always it's easy to forget the scale of the, the Apple platform. Like if you're if you're talking about like iOS, right? A billion devices. There are a lot of people with a lot of very specific requirements in their to do list or in their email clients or in their time tracking. And if you have something that is, you know, that is kind of, even if it's a bundle that, that you're like, this is a good bundle I want, mm-hmm. there will be people that couldn't find that in something else. And I think that's considering the scale where we're mm. like, like the world is a big place, a lot of people with very, very many requirements. And I think that is often hard to express to someone who's not working in tech that you're not building something for, f- f- where you're trying to sell it on a market, like, mm. but you're actually selling it to potentially a billion people that might look for exactly that combination of features and combination of like aesthetic and you know mm-hmm. it's not just feature right it's the aesthetic the the approach it might be even be someone who's like i want exactly this kind of siri integration and yeah. you happen yeah. to have that it's like no matter what you have there are people unless unless you're doing completely weird things <laughs> that, but even then there are probably people that are after that particular set of things and if you're executing those things well it's i think there's there's always like an audience for that. Yeah. Um, so how comes you, um, I, I know that you're working on the macOS app now. Uh, how comes you decided to work on it? And also how is it going? I'm really, really looking forward to seeing it. So um, a lot of users have been in lockdown and their go-to device is no longer their phone <laughs> or iPad, which would be for traditional task managers. Mm-hmm. But um, so users are like, I really need a Mac app. I've been spending more time on my <laughs> laptop and as soon as I open my phone, the first thing I do is check Twitter when I'm supposed to complete a task. <laughs> That's actually what one of the users have said. And they're like, please, I need a Mac app. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just end up wasting more time. Don't tell them and, that Twitter um, is on the Mac as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you can, uh, yeah. So that, that, um, that actually drove me to, you know, I, I definitely knew I wanted to make a Mac OS app. Because I wanted to increase the value proposition that Task gives, mm-hmm. and to have a native app in all platforms, Apple would really be a cool value proposition. Mm. Striking on the word native, which people <laughs> I think genuinely prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been fun to develop the macOS app, and now I'm torn apart. I wanted to make it available on Catalina, mm-hmm. but looking the way Catalyst is going i don't think it's going to look at all native on catalina mm. it, on big Sur, the app looks fantastic <laughs> with you know the mac uh, the mac elements really coming to life bringing the app to life but on catalina it's just it just looks like an ipad app run even if i have changed <laughs> the layout 
I mean, I I'm trying really hard, but I think it might just be a Bixer release. Yeah, it's 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 really hard. I've not I've yet to come across a Catalyst app that looks actually great on on Catalina. Catalina is just it it, it feels like it almost as a developer, I feel it's it's even tricking my brain because you interact with uh, Catalyst apps differently from mm -hmm. the simulator. Right, because hmm. you, for example, when you scroll, you would uh, push down and and drag. Well, with a Catalyst app, you you could, can actually scroll with two fingers on a trackpad, and they look so similar, like so close to iPad apps that my brain tricks it into treating it like a simulator, and then sometimes things don't work. It's it's really hard to. I've yet to see an app where I'm like that actually feels looks and feels like a proper Mac app. Well, Big Sur with all the idioms like for example when you're like using certain elements right they are rendered it as if they would be actually AppKit apps and i think that is such a big step into that direction that is hard if depending on what kind of expectation of of polish and quality for for your macOS app you're setting it's really hard to 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 get a uh, catalina uh catalyst app that's that that's fitting those requirements i think Swift UI gets more of the advantage over there than UIKit does. The only thing that makes becomes a Mac element is the button for me. Mm. I don't see anything more changing over there except just the button. But I think your date pickers too. Oh yes, um, but I think uh, again. Um, so the thing with date picker was if it by default it sets it to inline mm -hmm. and. The selecting and changing that properties is not that simple. I, I don't know. I face some problems with it, mm -hmm. but on Big Sur, it works pretty okay. well. So you're doing much customization specifically to run on macOS? So I'm def um, I wouldn't say a lot of customization. I have changed my layout drastically. So, um, for example, in tasks on the iPhone, you have a screen to show the projects. Then you have another screen to show the project detail. And then finally, the campaign board. What I've done here is I remove that project detail screen entirely and I place it on the toolbar as a filter by tag, which is, you know, it works out really well on the Mac, but on the iPhone, you'd rather have that screen instead of having to tap that button and then it having to show mm, you a menu. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I think the Mac app will actually help me design better for the iPad and the iPhone <laughs> because I have learned to make things compact on a Mac Mm -hmm. And to sense. bring focus to the content, Do you, and it translates really well to the phone and the iPad. That's that's awesome. Do you think you will support only Big Sur then, or do you still try to make it work? Where do you lean at the moment? I mean, technically, what I can do is I can distribute the app for Catalina as well. It just won't be that great. Um, I'm not sure if I want to do that. Maybe for the users who really need it, I would send it to them separately. Mm -hmm. But I think on the App Store, I'll be placing just the Big Sur build. Mm. I'm not sure if I'll be supporting Catline on the App Store. Mm. Mm. Also buys you some more time because it looks like Big Sur will be probably coming after all the iOS 14 releases. So you 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 can you can have That's an excuse why. Not my intention. Don't call me out on that guy. <laughs> That's not my intention. <laughs> I am not buying time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you so did you install are you running uh, Big Sur on your main computer right now? So Big Sur is on the Mac Mini and on the portable laptop if I need to push out builds I've kept uh, you know Catalina there because mm, yeah. I need that so I think 
that's why I needed that laptop really bad because I wanted to run Big Sur without yeah. uh, having problems. And finally, it made it. And as soon as it did, everything was ready. I just had to click the button that <laughs> install on the Macintosh HD. And that was the only click that I had to do. And as soon as it came in, I opened it. Works fine. Keyboard's intact. Okay, cool. Let's just get started. Uh, I'm I'm still dreading the Big Sur release. Yeah, we still found that um, there are some problems with Swift UI in general. So we've been struggling, uh, not struggling. I guess we've been holding off a bit on uh, fixing some layout issues that we have because we noticed that that's a thing with Apple's apps as well. Um, so we're holding off a bit on that. But I would love to see. I would love to be able to make some more progress on that because. Uh, I, 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 I don't like that it's in public beta right now. That means that people can, in theory, run our app and it won't look as great as it does on Catalina. So it's, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, just because even if <laughs> once people get on a public beta, there's also no way for us, even if we would fix the layout issues, there's no way for us to push that to the users through the app store. Um, so it's it's tricky to work on, or even backwards. outside of it, right? Because it, it's kind of hard. We can't do all the. We're using Apple's in-app purchase system yeah, for subscriptions. Yeah. You can't really just uh, push a build that hooks into all of that, because then you would point at the sandbox or or have a whole bunch of other issues. So it's 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 hard can to. We just for test flight for Mac, like I, I, I honestly wanted test flight for Mac. It would make things so much easier. And I think I reached out to Malin and Kai on this, right? Yeah. How do y'all release build to your users? <laughs> and it's it's been a pain point because if I send out the build, it's buggy, it's crashing, mm. and the step to ask them to update is just a hectic yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We, I wonder we're if we're using that... Sparkle. We have a basically a different um, build path where one that goes to testers uh, includes Sparkle. So we get all the auto updating through Sparkle and you can go through the, the menu to check for updates and get new updates and those kind of things. Getting Delta updates, it's really nice. But obviously you can ship that on the Mac App Store. So we have one build path that spits out essentially a staging build with, with Sparkle and then the other one that's the normal one uh, to the App Store without, without that framework. Hmm. And that works okay for for the most part but it's still tricky because we have a different code path than on the server that runs on our staging uh, environment because if someone is doing like a purchase flow uh it won't actually do like a purchase with apple instead it's just telling our server hey i'm a tester give me give me access and then we're giving access but we still wanted the flow to be testable so it's Mm -hmm. it's just a staging server gives you whatever you ask for without triggering the payment flow um which we which we can't really ship out to all of our users because uh, then everyone gets everything for free (laughs) that and also then they would be on the testing or on the staging server instead and we we don't want we don't want to do that and we don't want to migrate everyone like if if people then want to move over also i don't know if if it's becoming too many people it's kind of getting hard to manage right Mm -hmm. because there's sometimes when we have a smaller group we we can try things and ask for feedback for the people that we know explicitly but we don't want to you know if if we have a whole bunch more people we can really it's harder to check in with everyone and say everything is still good for you cool moving <laughs> on yeah how do you uh, do you have many testers that you don't know personally um on the ios version of that i had around 600 testers who i like i actually don't know because it was a public link sent out so mm-hmm. none of them were people i know 
um, and I stopped sending out um, updates over there because I started shipping out to the iOS app store very frequently. Mm. And that's something I've been practicing. So I have now two tester groups. One is, um, you know, um, close people to me. And then the other one is um, like alpha task testers. These are people who are really enthusiastic uh, enthusiasts about the app and mm-hmm. they wanted to help test out the app mm-hmm. so they, they are my alpha mm-hmm. like alpha group where i just dump anything onto them and they just report <laughs> everything very nicely to me and honestly i wouldn't be able to make releases if not for them oh, so awesome. i mean testers really help out enormously because being an indie app i cannot go through all the cycles and testing is the hardest mm. thing to do when you have written the code for it. Right? <laughs> you know this is going to happen. You know this is not going to happen. And then a user comes up and does something unexpectedly. <laughs> or, you know, their uh, their project is structured in a weird way, which I did not think of. Mm. And all of these things get caught, right, really well. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, that's... I mean, I wish there was test flight for Mac. Like, I, I would be so happy. I would have pushed out the Mac app by now. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if that's something we will see once uh, once iOS apps will run on the Mac. Just because I think there might be some general App Store changes related to that. For example, if you look at the Big Sur screenshots of the App Store, there are those um, in-a-purchase cards. Um, you know, on iOS, if you have an in-a-purchase, you can have a promoted in-a-purchase that you display in the App Store. And that's something that we, you can see yeah. is actually going to be a thing on macOS by the look of it judging from the in screenshots Big in Big Sur so I wonder if they're making some general changes and especially if iOS is available then people might expect test flight to be more of a thing and then maybe they will have that on macOS maybe that's just me speculating and hoping for it but I can imagine to see many changes now when iOS apps will be available because I think think iOS developers are so used to like shipping those type of Shipping test test apps through test flights, so hopefully. But what do you guys think? Uh, there, there are multiple things to it, right? The benefit of, of shipping on macOS is that you can do whatever you want outside of it. So, like, the Sparkle solution, I think, is all right. Mm-hmm. But the Mac App Store is also a bit of a... <laughs> Uh, it feels a bit more more uh, as your like third favorite child in in <laughs> Apple sense, right? It's it's not my favorite child. It's not even number two. It's kind of like one of the other ones. I don't know. It, it feels like Apple almost doesn't want to rank them anymore. That's where the <laughs> Mac App Store lays. Um, and getting more features that makes it easier to go through your full cycle with like test flight and testing and getting feedback mm. and um, being able to like test your inner purchases and those kind of things. I think that is a service for developers that might then make it easier for people to actually ship on the Mac App Store because for us, it's actually to some extent more hassle to ship on the Mac App Store because we have like those entirely different code paths, one for testing and then mm-hmm. one for for actual production. And it's we actually had to go through a lot of effort to set up our build scripts and our build environment to actually allow for those kind of two things. If we had sold our app outside of the App Store, we wouldn't even need the second code path, right? It would just say updates through Sparkle and everyone gets it through there. So if Apple would make it easier and make it more attractive on the apps to to do ship on the App Store, I do think that's something everyone would, uh, you know, everyone yeah, would gain yeah. something from. That's what I feel like. If they can make that part of the process that like everyone is so used to doing it on iOS, so if more iOS developers will come over to macOS, mm. it would make sense to add this as a natural 
I guess, comfort people. Yeah, familiarity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I have my fingers crossed for it. It would be great. Mm. Um, So are you you also making changes for iOS 14? I think they're... I've seen you working a bit on widgets. Are you still... Are you still working on that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, So widgets is... So I had widgets made for um, pre-iOS 14 and then I realized it just doesn't (laughs) work that way anymore. And uh, now I'm just, uh, you know, rethinking how... So the thing is, it has to be really attractive this time because it's on the home screen. It's yeah. not on the side mm-hmm. screen, right? And you have to like really make it so good and nice and inform- informative. And since you cannot check off tasks from there directly, mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, just a view-only thing. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a lot of customizations that you can do to widgets. So, a comp- uh, you know making sure that you get that in there too. And since it's a new thing, actually, you can just do anything and users will like it. But over time, there'll be standards for it, right? Yeah. Soon enough, there'll be standards for it. And uh, yeah, I think, but it's really good to have a widget on launch day because if Apple features you in a widget list, that Mm -hmm. list is going to be there for a while. Yeah. And they tend to reuse that same thing across all geographies, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely good to be there on launch day. So anything to do that. I I, I still see the uh, apps that support iOS 13 uh, lists showing up Mm. even even today. Dark mode. Dark mode, yeah. yeah. Dark mode. Yeah, yeah, dark mode is being recycled all the time. Yeah, right? yeah, and it's it, it's you can't really make it into those lists after some time, right? I think I mean, even you the- can, but okay. if you if you launch during that time frame with something, the chances are way higher. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like winning winning the App Store lottery. If if you're in one of those lists, that's it will be mm. probably a good year. <laughs> so are you? That goes on to the app. Tab, and it goes on to the today tab because they have stories yeah. about apps that look good yeah. in dark yeah. mode. So if you're there on launch day, they just keep using you over and over again instead of having to do their entire, you know, process of getting you in there. Mm. So being there on launch day would perfect would be the best thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, but speaking of App Store, how did you land on your in your current um, monetization model? Because you're having like a subscription or a lifetime option. How did it land on that? So lifetime option was one of the buts. Um, a lot of people hated paying subscriptions. So I was like, you know what, if you really hated that much, you know, might as well give you that one good thing that, you know, I have a lifetime option in there too. Mm-hmm. And the subscription was just to make sure it's appealing enough for the crowd to join in. Cause mm-hmm. I, I do it really uh, reasonable $10 a year. Mm-hmm. And that's the intro period. I'm planning on taking it up to 20, maybe once the Mac app is out there, cause the value proposition mm-hmm. has increased. And uh, the reason for the lifetime is right now at 35 and I plan on taking that to 50 because it's still way below what my competitors offer. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, if, if you want to own software for, you know, the amount of time that I'll probably be maintaining it, it looks like a decent fee. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't think I'm losing that much. So if I were to multiply my subscription by 3.5 years, Mm-hmm. Assuming, you know, the minimum time I'll support the app is 3.5 years. Not that I'm planning to discontinue it. <laughs> uh, so if it was like, you know, so if they, and these people are the ones that are supporting me early on, right? Yeah. And yeah. they help me bootstrap this. So if you've given me the confidence and you, you've given me the confidence that, you know, they see the value in this and mm-hmm. they go ahead and, you know, 
it's like that kickstarter campaign mm. they put in the value uh, give you the money out there i straight up and so the people who supported me early on i'll definitely make sure that you know i support them throughout the entire period and maybe i remove the lifetime option maybe not but i'll definitely kick it up so that I'll, like people try to convert into subscription model mm. so that i can continue supporting this for years to come mm. instead of you know that one good year Sorry, just on that, how um do you have you given much thought to how to monetize the Mac app? Is it going to be a shared subscription or or an app purchase, um or, or are you going to charge separately for that? It's going to be it's going to be uh, one purchase one place use everywhere, and I think users love convenience. And if I don't, it'll give them a thing to complain about, and I don't <laughs> want to do that. Fair point. Yeah. Nice. Um, do you experiment a lot with your pricing, or did you kind of set? Look, looked at the the kind of the competition and then set your price and kind of kept it there. So people will say that I've done a bad job at it. Those <laughs> who have succeeded in their pricing strategy, like I've definitely done a bad job at it. Um, getting people to pay ten dollars a year for mm-hmm. a task manager when other task managers are ten dollars a month, mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely doesn't work well. And there are uh, apps like Things they make um, with a pay upfront model, right? And I mm-hmm. think the only mm-hmm. reason that they can do that is because Apple puts them ahead as much as possible. The moment that Apple, you know, stops featuring them, people won't really be able to find it out. And so I couldn't rely on that model. And I mean, and they've been around as- for long enough. You know, you're you're kind of. I think Things have been around for seven, eight, nine. 10 years you know it's 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 a <laughs> just getting very, more years by every second <laughs> but you know it's 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 also a different situation when you're launching no mm-hmm. one knows of you mm-hmm. but if you've been around for seven plus years <laughs> a lot of people know you already exactly and mm-hmm. they excel at that and there's no way so, so having a way that users can explore the app and then opt to pay that was the that i think is one of the best ways to go about it right now mm-hmm. unless you know you get featured mm-hmm. and you That's the only way that people can explore. I think browse downloads make uh, generate more revenue than you know. So if you want to search a task manager and it's named tasks on the app store, all <laughs> the best to you. Like you will not find me anywhere on there, right? Yeah. Um, mm. So I think browse and referrals are the only two ways that I can actually sustain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't experiment much with pricing. One reason is if you reduce. So you'd have to create a lot of subscription groups. Yeah. If you reduce the price, it reduces it for everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. And there is no option to tell that let existing users pay that much. Mm-hmm. And I think things might go out of hand really soon, <laughs> and I might just drop everyone to paying the promo price. So I don't want to mess around. I I'm really scared of playing with that part. Yeah, it is a scary interface because it's like if you. This this means every every subscriber you've ever had now pays uh, a fraction of of your current price. You're like, ah, uh, maybe I don't experiment anymore. <laughs> and if you increase the price, they like keep the low paying users on the low paying, and this one only for the new ones. But why don't they have the vice versa version of it? Mm. Yeah, or or even worse, if you change the uh, price for an existing one, uh, everyone's auto renewal turns off, <laughs> which is also really terrifying oh, yeah. when you're when you're. <laughs> face with potentially losing all the customer i mean a lot of them will probably just say yeah sure it's a dollar more whatever i go for it but it's still will a they, scary will button. they kai will they <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good question do you have different prices in different regions so um as users uh come 
to me and you know they're like hey this is too expensive for this country mm-hmm. i see what other apps do to you know um price it accurately in that country like for example brazil mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i definitely disagree with pricing it the same for all countries and regions because um all the the i mean 10 dollars in us is definitely some in say a country like brazil might be a little too premium mm-hmm. and i don't i i wouldn't want that so i reduced it in brazil and then i think in philippines because so if users reach out saying that you know i really love this but um if it could be more discounted if it's a student i unlock it for them like for free mm-hmm. because i if when i was a student i realized i couldn't pay for any of my apps mm-hmm. and that sucked um so for and so for students i unlock it for a year two year thing for free but and other geographies whichever users come up and you know say that you know it's expensive here i definitely do reduce the price for them okay That's all. because we consider to potentially um change the price for for india because we've had a lot of downloads and a lot of user c- account creations in in india but um our price seems to be a bit too premium so we're considered to to potentially have a special pricing for just because there's there seems to be a lot of demand but not a lot of conversion so we thought to maybe consider like the 200 rupees price range for india which is like a still still not super cheap but like a 50 to 60% discount over our normal founders price so we we considered maybe so i i was thinking about your app and your app is to help people who are earning to you know mm-hmm. um get that organized so it's very tricky right um basically whatever their billable hours are like say for example i bet um so the i, I don't think there's anything called as minimum wage in india it's probably around uh, 3 to 400 bucks a day mm-hmm. but the people having a mac are definitely not in that minimum wage yeah. category mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. um and pricing it low so for people who are using your app for you know like if it's something else right since you're helping them get the work organized Mm-hmm. um 200 rupees a month is not a big deal in fact people pay you know 1000 rupees uh like so not 1000 rupees they pay 200 rupees subscription just to get some other benefits mm-hmm. so i mean we can discuss this definitely later on and what's a good price point in cricket <laughs> in india but mm-hmm. sometimes uh sometimes it's just that people are not used to subscription indians mm-hmm. I mean not to offend Indians or anything but like we were never taught to pay subscriptions right it's become a norm abroad like people are okay with the term subscriptions but if you realize subscription has been dated back so long back right when we used to have sim cards since then we've actually been paying you know mm-hmm. subscriptions to our network providers mm-hmm. but it was never termed a subscription mm-hmm. so subscription as a concept is new and currently in India we are comfortable paying a subscription rate to the big players netflix mm-hmm. um disney all these people because you know they believe that they have enough value mm-hmm. but for tiny products which actually help you do everyday tasks or do everyday you know work better subscriptions hasn't really kicked in but slowly we are beginning to appreciate it mm-hmm. and users are you know trying to subscribe to services that you know offer them value but that's not the gen- general norm here so it's mm-hmm. it's a learning curve and maybe in a few years people will get used mm-hmm. to the term subscription uh, so you mentioned netflix and disney plus is that what's the price for those services in india are they lower priced than- it's it's much more reasonable um, okay. i think uh, netflix is at 10 dollars a month for the um, 
the maxed out plan. Okay. And okay. Uh, Disney is whoa, that's really cheap. It's okay. um, let me do the math here. Um, it's twenty four dollars a year. Oh wow, wow, wow. that's that's really, really cheap. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, definitely subscriptions are way low priced over here because for a player like Disney too. So India has the what do you call it? The numbers, right? So if they yeah. earn if they reduce their prices but if they get a lot of users to subscribe that's actually big amount of revenue for them right so that's why they probably discounted they probably would run it at a loss if they did this pricing in the us because mm-hmm. there are a lot more people and in india the network connection is only so much so not a lot of people just you know switch on their streaming thing and go to sleep they probably switch off that and then you know there are a lot of cost cutting things there and we don't get all the content that y'all do So Disney is not Disney as a platform over here. They purchased an Indian company called Hotstar, and oh, okay. what Hotstar does is it streams cricket matches. So they initially got the users, and then Disney was like, you know what? We get you, and then we get that along with our content. And so it's mainly it it mainly used to be a cricket streaming platform where cricket matches were streamed, and then now football matches, and then eventually Disney has. <laughs> Put in its content. Interesting. Interesting. So does Disney Plus stream cricket? <laughs> it's called Hotstar. Okay. But it it's now switching to the Disney Plus. Um, it's transitioning its branding to that, so that users don't all of a sudden be like, "Wait, what happened to my okay. Hotstar app?" Mm. That's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, pricing pricing is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, especially oh, with pricing is so hard. So so different. Different countries, different usage pattern too. Like we've seen for us, Americans seem to have no no problem whatsoever with subscriptions. But um, certain places in Europe seem fine, but Germany seems to really hate subscriptions, um, which is weird, right? Okay, thank you. Uh, so most of my lifetime purchases come from Germany. Oh, they don't yeah. subscribe; they just purchase the app outright. There you go. And yeah. Americans, on the other hand, is a fifty fifty. So some. Prefer subscribing, not fifty fifty. I'd say it's seventy thirty. Um, they do pre- prefer purchasing the lifetime a uh, model. But yeah, Germany just and it's it's price expensive in Germany. It's it's forty six dollars for the lifetime option. Mm-hmm. They don't mind that. We won't subscribe, but we'll buy it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's, it's interesting. Um, so, and I'm I'm German. I I I thought I. <laughs> I should have known about that. I, I was I was quite surprised. Take thirty percent on the billable hours. You know, that's, that's that's the general number. See, that sounds yeah. like a smart idea. I heard thirty percent is the sweet spot. So, <laughs> yeah, no one complains about thirty percent. Everyone loves that. Fifteen percent the second year, though. Fifteen percent the second year. How do you find working by yourself versus working in a in a team? Do you find it? Do you enjoy working by yourself? Do you find it hard? So, um, I do have the. Um, Mix of both, where in my contract I'm working with people I'm mm-hmm. really familiar with, and they're really nice. But working on your own has one really cool thing: you decide what platform, what OS you support, mm-hmm. and you decide what you want, how you want it. And so I, I definitely do like that liberty, and I like I have them in one of my projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't learn if I have them in all my projects, but the fact that I have them in one of them is really fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like it to be that way. Like I'd like to be working on something alone, and then like to be working on something with others. Yeah, it's quite nice to just say, you know what, this app doesn't look right on Catalina. Let's just go Big Sur, <laughs> and, and there's no discussion, <laughs> exactly. no company to to convince, no no hierarchy to go through to get a con- 
uh, that those arguments across is quite nice. So for team size, how many people do you work with in in the work where you work in a team? So in uh, so I still contract for Signeasy, which was the company mm-hmm. that I used to be full time at, and um, I, I I primarily just deal with one person or mm-hmm. two people, three people at most. Um, the iOS team was very small, but um, then right now they just hired new people because since I was going contracting, they need people to get familiar with the code base. So I work with one uh, one person who is my iOS lead and um, a person from product. So I just work with two. And mm-hmm. on the other company, which is UserCamp, they've built Penbook, mm-hmm. which is kind of like an indie app, I'd say. Um, I, I even love their app just for one specific purpose is they have this iOS template mockup. So they have mm-hmm. iOS and iPad mm-hmm. screens mm-hmm. and you can just quickly prototype in them. And in that, I work with one of my friends, um, Watsil, who's from India. Mm-hmm. And then there's Will um, from Australia. I was just about and... to ask if you know Will working <laughs> on Penbook. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, nice. So that binds us all together because uh, they are from Vancouver, or at least from British Columbia, their company. Oh, yeah. Uh, ben and Slavin, amazing. Like uh, working on Penbook is so much fun because they, they all have that same thing where, you know, you, you, you want to rewrite something, just rewrite. You want to drop support, just drop support. Um, <laughs> it, it's very, um, I mean, they're very fascinated about the product and it, it's crazy how they shape it well and uh, listen to users' feedback and all of those mm-hmm. things at the same time, right? And their marketing content is spot on. Like, I love, if you ever have the time, just go over to um, Penbook by user camp and they have these promes- promotional videos yeah, yeah, I, I think, think those, they do yeah. it so artist. Yeah, I really like them. Yeah, it's just yeah. Um, do you, do you find it hard to work across like all those different time zones, or based on your schedule, you don't care because you're living on non-Indian time zones anyway? Yeah, yeah. I actually work very less Indian time zones, <laughs> and I work more um, towards uh, your time zone, <laughs> and it's much more easier. Today, I don't know how I'm awake. Um, it's it's really early for me. It's nine thirty in the morning when we started. That's really really early for me. Like, I've <laughs> never done this before. No. So the thing is, the good thing is, I actually slept early last night, and I got up and we played badminton, and we got soaked in the rain because it was raining outside, and I was just like fresh and awake. And I think I'll have an early day today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, I think we should wrap it up. I think it's really cool especially this kind of discussion where we have so many perspectives from around the world. I find, I mean, I just listened in for most of that, but I found that really fascinating um, to just like sort of talk about the differences and, and selling apps to, to different people around the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome chatting with you. We will put all of the links to uh, tasks in the show notes and to Mustafa's uh, Twitter account. If anyone uh, t- want to keep in touch, um, I'm a little, I'm wondering, is your Twitter account actually Mufasa? Oh, yes. Uh, it's much easier to pronounce and much familiar. So oh, okay. I just go Mufasa everywhere. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> because I was looking like, did I write? I wrote it down before. I was like, that looks, why did I write the wrong thing? But no. Okay. So you can reach uh, Mustafa <laughs> on Twitter at uh, Mufasa YC and download tasks as well. We How did you to come that. up with that Twitter handle? What does that stand for? So um, a lot of people with um, Mustafa, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people used to nickname me as Mufasa because of Lion King. <laughs> I, um, I thought it was it, a Lion King It, it resembles quite a bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> and and it's really it is. so and YC is my surname, so I just stuck that in. So NYC's would be NYC would be my mm-hmm. initial. So it was just Mafasa YC. Okay. <laughs> now we're all now when we're talking about your Twitter handle, I, I was just I just realized um your header image on Twitter is one with you and Craig Federici. And it's actually quite funny. I think we were there the same He's year. He's a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were at WWDC the same year as you, and we actually remember seeing that crowd. So I think we actually saw you taking that picture. Yeah, when when Craig came because he was center left of the stage, right, and he kind of came out, and everyone's like, "Oh, there's Craig Federici," and then we saw everyone taking taking selfies over there, and you were one of them. Can we believe you were so close at one point in time, <laughs> and now we're all worlds apart? I know it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, we're five meters apart. It was the last WWDC, man. That, that was. I mean, I'm so glad I got a chance to go for the way he lost WWDC. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, very, not the last the one. one. Hopefully, we will get more. Yeah, I think next next year is mean, yeah, last before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, next year is probably still. I think it's unlikely based on current trajectories, but the year after that, I think we might be able to. Yeah, as soon as the vaccine is out, I guess we just have to wait that out. Yeah, yeah, and and the US getting their stuff under control. But yeah, would you go again if you had a chance? A hundred percent. I'd never miss it mm. ever again. Knowing <laughs> that what it was like once, once you've been there, you. I mean, it was magical. Like it would be. I mean, it would be it would be the equivalent of being on a honeymoon, but alone. <laughs> um, what What did you enjoy? Like, did you enjoy the community aspect, or the the kind of go to labs, or like special events, or what was what was kind of what what made what did what made WWDC special for you in particular? I think it was uh, it was meeting all the people from all across the world. And them just sharing stories and talking about code like they've known each other for forever. Mm-hmm. Like anyone you meet and you bring up a framework and they're like, you know, yeah, that's that's exactly what it is, right? And mm. and people just talk like they've known each other for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, going to the labs. I mean, it just felt like it felt like really you could be yourself over there, and it was really like everything was so natural and things went on so smoothly. Um, I I think the main thing I did definitely enjoy was uh, people over there and then definitely labs and seeing all the presentations happen live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a different kind of energy than we're, we're trying to kind of simulate it. We're, we're like having watch parties online to, with friends to kind of still, still connect like half an hour before so everyone can chat and then watch the keynote together. But it's still not the same as like queuing up in front of the conference center. Right. And then slowly making your way through the halls and then, getting a good seat and that was it's it's a cool experience and we're kind of in a nice pattern marlin's been the last uh five years four years yeah and i've yeah. been the last three so it's like it's it's a good chance because every time you go you meet so many people from all over the world mm. right that you that it's hard to stay in touch with especially like for mom and me right we lived in i lived in germany and then sweden then then different cities in in australia and now now in canada and WWDC for like at least our developers circle friends, like a good percentage of those people would all come to one mm. place for for those like 
week or week and a bit every year and it was kind of a nice way of like everyone had a good excuse to come together mm. uh during that week because you know it's like we all really care we're all working in tech so it made sense and it was just a really good excuse to catch up with with friends in in california <laughs> and it felt kind of weird to not have that this year and i i really really hope that this was not the last in person of wc I really missed that a lot. Otherwise, we have to figure yeah, something definitely. out. It was a really nice break. Yeah. Otherwise, we have to figure something out how to how to replicate that. Maybe we can host a big watch party conference in in Vancouver or something. If Apple's no longer doing it themselves, <laughs> and I just hope that someday we have an indie island kind of theme, yeah, where all indie developers from all over the world just come and take a weekend or a week off, <laughs> and we just talk anything you know just have fun yeah i mean it would be so nice mm. things have uh, traveling has become hard since then but mm. hopefully sometime in the future there's an indie conference somewhere i, I do like the idea a lot mm. yeah we should do that i'm i'm on board yeah me too awesome cool just gotta find ourselves some an island that we can rent for a week <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need oh, to it rent. doesn't have to be an island i was just saying island because you know swift island um there's this conference which happens where all these people come they go on biking together and all of those things no mm. but so, yeah. no no i i like the idea of island i think we should we should go with island <laughs> <laughs> all right you find us an island then we're on board <laughs> cool i i feel like i i somehow drew the short uh, straw here <laughs> All right, awesome. cool. Then thank you thanks, so much. Thanks again for joining, and see you on a random island sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is delightful. Such a good break from every day. 